Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Lara Jean Korostecki, an actor and producer you may know from the TV series Copper, X Company, Designated Survivor, Frankie Drake Mysteries, Killjoys, and of course Hannibal, where she played the tabloid journalist Freddie Lowndes. With Jen Pogue, she also co-hosts the podcast series Women on Screen Out Loud, which is getting ready to roll out its second season soon. And she reunites with her Hannibal co-star Aaron Abrams in Jesse Ziegelstein's Nose to Tail, which is opening theatrically in Toronto, Winnipeg, and Calgary this Friday, February 14th. Lara Jean picked 8th grade, Bo Burnham's 2018 debut starring Elsie Fisher as Kayla, who's in her last week of middle school and trying to figure out who she's going to be. It's really that simple. We glide along with her as Kayla suffers the good intentions of her single dad, played by Josh Hamilton, makes a slightly older friend, played by Emily Robinson, negotiates the attention of a couple of boys, and deals with a life lived partially online, which adds a whole other level of anxiety and danger to the simplest interactions. It's a thoughtful, beautifully observed drama, and an accomplishment made all the more impressive by the fact that Burnham was just 26 years old when he shot it. This is someone else's movie. I picked 8th grade. Someone had recommended it to me. Dave Rial, a, a Toronto actor who I know quite well, had recommended this to me months ago when I think, had it played? Did it play a TIFF? No, no, it, it showed up in the summer. Um, in July, it just got dropped on us, basically. I think it broke out at Sundance or South by. Yeah, it had, it had shown somewhere in Toronto, and he had gone to the screening of it where Bo Burnham was at. Oh, yeah. Um, I saw him that day. But okay. I, I interviewed Burnham that yeah, day. So I, yeah, so he had gone to that screening of it. And, and I um, do this thing in the city where I jam with some of my peers. So we get together, we work on scenes, we do Meisner, we do whatever to keep our uh, minds active and alive. So I had gone to jam with Riel that day and he went, I just saw, or the next day, I just saw this film. It was so good. And I, it had been in my mind. And then for some reason, it just kept slipping my mind to watch it. And then another person, um, Lauren McKinley, who's a producer at Sphere Media and does Women on Screen, an organization here in Toronto with me, had just seen it. And then you had asked me to do the podcast. <laughs> and originally I was going to do Lady Bird. And then I saw Eighth Grade and went, no, 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 I think, I think this is... I was just really struck by how, uh, how connected I could still feel as, as a female to this character, but how different everything is how, how some themes transcend time and then other things like social media coming in and everything which is something i didn't grow up with yeah changes it all anyway so that's the long story of how i got brought to it was people recommended it and then it's on netflix and i went well i have no excuse <laughs> should have watched this in the summer or in theaters now i have to it's i have to say it's a very different experience when you're watching it with an audience mm. I mean, it's, you really you feel people wince at different times you feel people sort of sucking like that thing we do with our teeth that moment of of reflexive empathy mm. uh where we're watching we're watching a movie where someone is potentially making the worst decisions she'll ever make and not aware of it, or she's making the best ones. And when, when Burnham came through and I, I interviewed him, we talked about how it's all about you know, like performative anxiety and imposter syndrome. And he's has to find a way to convey this through the story of a child who isn't like, she doesn't have the language for any of this. And she's yeah. just performing because that's what she's seen everybody else do. And how does that work? And then he said, the most important thing is to make her a person, not just a, a an avatar for the audience's nervousness. So she has to have a distinct personality and she has to have her own interests. And then he's 
well, he's 27 and he's trying to figure out what a 13-year-old would do. And and he's a 27-year-old male, too, yeah, yeah. getting into a... I was amazed at how well he got into a 13-year-old girl's brain. Yeah, he said that most of that was just trusting Elsie Fisher, mm. letting her be the character yeah. and figuring out where to build it. But, yeah, it's... it's I, there is so much stacked against this film, right? I mean, my first response was, oh, this YouTube comedian is making a movie about a teenage... <laughs> really? What? Really? And then, of course, it turns out that it's one of the best first features I've seen in years. And So good. I also I loved... I think I read somewhere that he was saying... He interviewed all the... Auditioned all the different young women, and she was the only one that was trying to play like she was confident or something it was like something i'm paraphrasing badly but it was like everybody else was coming in trying to play the social anxiety and she was trying to overcome it or something that she had actually figured out how to be that real person first and as you say trust her instincts then that she's able to fully embody that character i also thought his his use of music was so bang on of that feeling of being 13 and what is important to you at that age uh and the boy walks into the room and the music gets cranked up and it's kind of this punkish sound just cranked to full as her whole mind focuses on this young man who she's for whatever reason madly in love with i just remember what that was like at that age where you get so streamlined into a specific focus and everything else in the world just fades away. And I, I think he captured that that feeling of um, prepubescent or just pubescent kind of yeah. terror. I, I don't know what I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, don't know, know what it why. is. But I know it's really intense. Yeah. The that's, music is really loud. Yeah, I, that's that's what um, Ladybird does as well, right? The, yeah. the argument that you make in your head as a kid, which is that no one has ever felt anything as profoundly yeah. as I am feeling this right now. Yeah. And I honestly would not have thought that a 27-year-old would be far away enough from that to mm. interrogate it. Or not even interrogate it, but to just hold it up and go, obviously, she'll be okay. This is not the biggest moment. This is not as important as she thinks it is. But the distance you need, like, I'm 50, and I'm still kind of dealing with some of the intensity of stuff from when I was a kid. Yeah. It's, it's a weird place to be, and it's a weird place to make a movie about. Mm-hmm. And almost everyone who's tried has ended up with, like, a 90s teen comedy or something. Mm-hmm. They, they go for the lightness. They try to laugh it off. They don't confront how really awful it is to be in the throes of this moments oh and that car scene you were talking about being in a theater i watched it with my partner and he's quite reactive to films in a wonderful way i love watching movies with him because he's constantly making comments and uh he was full on doing the no 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 that car scene no don't do that no don't get in the back seat with her no 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 don't do that and the two of us sitting there just cringing yeah at, as you say, what could be a life-changing event and the fact that he he didn't shy away from it, nor did he make that young man, even though he's he's doing creepy things, he's not creepy. Yeah, no. He's, he's confused himself and he's uneducated. And um, I mean, that's a, that's a good argument for, for teaching uh, young people what consent is and respect and sure, yeah. and all those different things. It's a good argument for that because you watch this young boy and I, I went, he's not a creep. 
He's just doing really creepy things right now. Yeah. Well, he's the worst version of what she's doing, right? Yeah. Like he's performing a role that he doesn't fully understand. And I don't doubt for a second that he sees himself as a nice guy. He's just yeah. trying. He's trying to do whatever it is that you're supposed to. Like, nobody knows what the roadmap is. They're all lost. Yeah. And the grace with which the film handles that scene, because the characters don't really. I mean, let's just, you know, no, I don't like it. Let's never talk of this yeah. again. That's totally teenage that's the reality but the perspective that that the camera brings to that is that we get to soak in it a lot longer than they do and it's we like ideally and i'm sure this was his intention ideally you should be thinking about your own experiences in that Mm -hmm. moment and how you handled it and how the other person did or didn't handle it and what happened and all of this but it just it feels so specific and real that it becomes universal, that that amazing, weird contradiction of art, right? Like, mm, you're looking at the one more specific. thing, everyone has a different interpretation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, it is just, like, It's cringeworthy. And the young boy that she has a, a, a crush on, too, listening to him, oh, sorry, I loved, he didn't shy away from any of the language around sex, he didn't shy away from any of the swearing, like, this is yeah. how teenagers talk. Yeah. Most of the time. And, and that young boy asking her about blowjobs and me going, I doubt you have ever gotten one of these, hopefully, as well. But but it just seems so clear he was such a well-defined character. I don't think you dumped your last girlfriend because she wouldn't send you nudes, but I doubt you've ever, other than on the internet, I mean, of course, on the internet, looked at naked ladies, but no girlfriend has ever sent you nudes. I doubt you've ever no, gone yeah. past third base, kind of like, oh, second base or whatever, yeah. that kind of territory of... But they're pretending. Yeah, it's all about performance. It's all performance. So he's pretending to be something, and and she's, oh, not. It's just heart wrenching with uh, when she goes to that party too. <sighs> yeah. And you think that well, that mom maybe has has a crush on her dad, and that's what's going on there. But I just remember. So I was I was really really thin when I was a teenager and and not in that it feels awful to say that but not in that way that you want to be um somewhat sickly thin and I remember that terrifyingness of even though I was on the thinner side of things I hated going to pool parties yeah because it's it's the I thought I was too thin and then the awareness of the body and and how when you there's so many hormones going on and, and you are, yeah, going back to performing. You are trying to perform something or to be an adult while you're a kid because it seems like the more mature you are, the better you are, yeah. but yet no one actually who's pretending to be mature is actually mature. Yeah, and we're all in different places in our lives when we finally figure that out. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's how you, I, I, I think between that impulse to understand that everyone else is also lying on some level and it never stops I mean, the older you get the more you realize that nobody knows what they're doing mm. really and those who say they are are sociopaths um <laughs> sure. or, or they you know they found theranos or whatever that yeah. is you just if you have a plan you're probably not going to be able to realize it or at least not the way you want and mm. How do you explain that to kids, right? How do you, how do we teach the next generation? How does culture teach the next generation that it's going to be okay? You just don't know what it's going to be. And this, this movie is that thing. It's trying to tackle that. There's an interesting thing about 
when we're older, you know, when, when they ask you, well, what would you have told your teenage self? Or what would you have told yourself when you were 13? Or even, I think, my first big breakup when I was 17. What would you have told yourself? And, and part of me, now in my early 30s, wants to say, like, well, I would have said, don't worry. Like, you're, you're not, you're going to vaguely remember him, and you're going to remember him in, in really kind ways, and it's going to be fine. And then part of me goes, well, no, because actually, little LJ would not have found solace in that. Yeah, There's, which she, she wouldn't want to hear it, and she no. probably wouldn't listen to it. Yeah, 17-year-old me would not necessarily want to hear any of that, nor would it necessarily be of any value yeah. to her. The only thing I could I could think about to tell my younger self is like you're you don't know this yet but you're allergic to chlorine and it's gonna <laughs> it'll be way better when you start. That's dealing. You don't know this yet, but you're celiac and that's what's going on with your body. Yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine yeah. how different. Like, everybody thinks about the big emotional. Oh, you'll get this job, or you know, put ten dollars in this guy's hand when you need to. No, the most important things we need to know are the ones that are entirely internal. And I think that's what yeah. this movie's about in a weird way. Like it's about understanding who you are, and. St- and and then abandoning the idea that you have to maintain an inauthentic self. She has that great the monologue at the end about life is suffering, to paraphrase it. Yes. To say, like, this is, it's going to be hard. And we're so privileged. Watching the film, even, I was thinking, well, she's in a very privileged position. She's got a single dad father, yes, but but they seem to be fine. She goes to a good school. Like, she's in a super privileged position position and and I think of myself that way in in North America and 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 yet life is still suffering life will still be suffering there's still a lot to figure out and and learning trying to learn at that age what responsibility even is how to as you said like own your own self and that speech that she does to the the girl at the end, I thought um, it's Elsie, right? Elsie yeah. Fisher. Yeah. I thought Elsie did such a great job of that. Where, when she walked away, I wondered for a second if she was going to hate herself, and then she smiled instead. And I went, mm, "Dead on." Yeah, it's even though it came out so awkward, it's exactly all the likes and ums and ahs don't take away from her discovering herself and, and owning that space where she finally says to the girl, yeah. and you can you're see, mean to me. And you can see how scared she is in the mm-hmm. moment. That's like, it's not every other, I, probably not every other, I'm sure there's one or two that I've missed, but most of the films that deal with this, if it's not a 90s romantic comedy, then it's the most important scene in the, it's the climax, there's music, every, the, the, the actor is treated like she's Buffy fighting a monster, mm. you know, like stern, steely, standing up. She is terrified and it makes it so much more believable because she's still doubting herself. Yeah. She doesn't know that this is going to work and it, it's just vulnerability, right? Like it's yeah. just pure humanity. Re- reminds me, just as we're talking about it right now, that moment in The Favorite mm. where uh, Emma Stone says to the guy who, who wants to get with her wants to sleep with her um she insults him and then she walks away and it's that great powerful moment of i've insulted you and i've walked away and that traditional thing we would just see her walk away and it would be amazing and instead yorgos goes around shows her face and she makes that face of oh shit what did i do did i mean to do that those are real those are those real human moments because I even think when we're super powerful, it's rare that we do the super, super strong and don't have that seed of doubt. Yeah. No, you need the moment. Well, you need the human moment, right? You need yeah. the moment to connect to the audience uh, and 
tell them that we know it's a movie. Yeah. That it's performative. But that's also Emma Stone's superpower. It's just the, oh, yeah. that last second snort or giggle that yeah. breaks the moment. And I love her for it because she's so good at it. Um, and yeah, eighth grade doesn't have those because it can't no. be that self-aware, right? Like it's not allowing itself to crack this veneer because we need to see that she's feeling everything no but no... i meant more in terms of the vulnerability of yeah. it, that that she shows that little sneaky moment where she's vulnerable oh, before she smile smiles basically yeah yeah just that similar instead of just seeing i guess i was speaking more to instead of just seeing her walk away with mm. her back to us um after that speech to yeah, her yeah, yeah. we see her reaction to it afterwards and and that's that I liked seeing the after effects of, of owning yourself. Yeah. It's it's something I mean that sorry, the dog is snoring. <laughs> the dog is it. snoring. It's very soothing. <laughs> Dexter is unmoved by anybody's emotional <laughs> We've learned this over the years. Um, yeah, no the I, I guess what I'm thinking of is that the favorite's operating at a more self aware level as a yes. movie and eighth grade just won't let out no. like you cannot escape it when you're in it you're locked in there with her and and that's what it needs to be we need to see her walk to the glass door in mm. her bathing suit and swim i still say bathing suit i'm an old man uh, <laughs> we need to see her walk to the glass door in the swimsuit and then we need to just hold our breath with her yeah there's no like you can't let the air out of that moment you need to just frame it that way and all the you you mentioned um her dad and and you know, Josh Hamilton, I, uh, I don't want to turn this into a Josh Hamilton is a wonderful overlooked actor, but he's so good in that part. Yeah. And I don't have kids, but I empathize the hell out of that guy. He's 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 um, trying. He is trying, but he's also learning not to push too hard. And you can see him make mistakes in the moment the same way she does. And it it makes them work together as a as a father daughter pairing so beautifully but it really is the two of them working in in conjunction with each other in unison he to did, find that note yeah he did set a, that beautiful moment at the end where he gives her that speech which again was wonderfully played and then she goes and gives him a hug and his face yeah. when she gives a hug cuz he knows she can't see him yeah which is not but it's also i i found in watching that face it wasn't a oh my goodness i'm so happy it was a Oh my God, she's hugging me, and I'm not really sure what to do yeah, right now. And I love her, but I don't know what to do. So it wasn't. It never went into that realm of like cheesy moment of you just connected and you helped your daughter. There was always a yeah. real humanity to it of him going, Ah, she's hugging me. Yeah. What do I do? What do next? I do now? What do I do now? Yeah. What do I do next? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So now, and that's even the film at the end. They did that great thing of. She's now talking to herself when she graduates from high school. And, and what is next? Okay, so we've gotten through this moment in time. And we've learned what we can. What What's next? Yeah. Now, growing up, like, adolescence is a military campaign against yourself. You, <laughs> you, can, you can win individual skirmishes, but the war's always... There's mm -hmm. more. There's always more down the way. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it's such a... I mean, it's such a small movie in its ambition that... Uh, you don't want to analyze it too hard because it or too closely because it will break, but mm -hmm. it won't. Uh, I went back and watched it again when we were putting together the um, the Toronto Film Critics Awards when we were yeah. doing the nominations and everything else, and it's no, it's still good. Like it, it, it gets richer because, and this always happens with the second time through any film because you can you can relax some part of your brain that's worried about story, yeah, and just let it happen. Um, sometimes the best way to watch a movie is is again. Um, That's because, a great argument I know, for watching films again. It's one that I've developed over the years. Things like um, 
Gross Point Blank, was mm. the, I think, was the first time when I was sitting in the theater clenched because I was afraid it would go off the rails because the tone is so specific and so weird. It's like, this can go wrong. This can't work. This can't sustain. And then it makes it all the way to the end. And then I went right back and it's like, yep, it's good. It's great. Uh, yeah. So what, what's your argument, though? I've seen The Princess Bride 15 times, maybe? Well, you know it's going to be okay. <laughs> Princess Bride is... is it's a hangout movie. It's the it's weirdest great, yeah. kind of film, though, because it shouldn't work. It's, no. you know, the sets are cheesy and the, the actors are really pushing it yeah. and the tones don't match. But all of those things and the, that weird Mark Knopfler score, the noodling guitar, um, it all works because it's so strangely, it doesn't care if you don't like it. Now, the, the whole Fred Savage at the beginning mm. all of that interplay in between of the grandpa telling the story it's so weird yeah but it perfectly sets up the tone which is yeah. that you are not going to be able to get a handle on this yeah yeah we're just going to do whatever we want yeah <laughs> uh and then we're going to just devastate you at the very end with that last moment where yeah i'm still i i still don't know i got to ask peter falk this once yeah as this podcast becomes about the princess bride uh, <laughs> it happens. don't worry about it but I actually get to ask because I'm, I'm convinced that in the last shot, when the grandfather turns around, he looks 20 years younger. He's, oh. he's brighter. He's more vibrant. His hair seems lighter and says, as you wish. And you just get to see this man as he is to his grandson yeah. instead of being a doddering old fool who's I've in the way. No, it, apparently not there. Uh, <laughs> I, I asked you. him. He said, no. Nah. Nah, he was really nice. So we were talking about Cassavetes and I just had to ask him at the end. It's like, no, we didn't do anything. It's like. <laughs> I bet Rob Reiner did something with the lighting. Um, <laughs> switched it, it, it feels there's and and again there is no reason to believe there is anything different from one shot to the next. It might be the same take, right? But it looks different to me, and it always has. And it's one of those bizarre mysteries of now. I want to go back. And yeah, watch see, that. this is what I mean. Yeah, um, it's one of those things where it's like the emotional wallop has changed the way I perceive the film. Mm. And eighth grade kind of does the same thing, and a few other movies do, where it just lands so softly and so right mm-hmm. that you just walk out of the theater like I don't know why I'm crying, but I feel like I should be. And Moonrise mm-hmm. Kingdom did that to me as well, oh, where I don't know why yeah, that shot fantastic. lands the way it does because yeah. it's nothing we haven't seen, but just punch in the chest yeah. it's it's the combination of distance and time and emotion and the fact that you have i don't know you've lived someone else's life for 90 minutes mm-hmm. and now you have to go back to yours and there's an adjustment period and it's yeah i don't i'm very i resent the fact that a 27 year old i know that was able this. to do this we sat down to watch it at nine o'clock at night and I'm I'm one of these early riser people. I like to get to bed as as early as possible. And I I, I looked at my partner and I went, I don't know. It's late. Should we let's save it for another day? And then we started watching it, and it instantly, instantly I was on board. Yeah. And I'm so amazed. Like, how it's your first feature, and you had me at go, and I was tired, and I wanted to go to bed, yeah. and the idea. Of not getting to brush my teeth until 10.30 was annoying me. <laughs> and within 10 seconds, I was there. Yeah, I don't know how that works. It happens every now and then. It used to be... Lightning strikes. Yeah, it used to be the confidence of a shot would just sort of like, oh, he knows what he's doing. Mm. But I don't know what it is about 8th grade, because it really is just video footage. Mm-hmm. We're just watching a tutorial. Yeah. But there's something fascinating about it and other movies have started the same way i mean i can't tell you how many indies i've seen where somebody opens with a camcorder addressing you know the problem of the moment yeah um but it's just she is 
like the framing isn't quite right. I think that's part of it. Like she's doing it all herself. Yeah. She doesn't really have a knack for it. She's just doing it because everybody else is. And you can almost get that. There's some weird cue in the very beginning that just tells you, look a little closer. This isn't polished. There's a reason. And yeah. When she said so quickly too in this in the script, um, so I haven't been getting that many views yeah. and instantly you go, Oh, <laughs> Also, that whole experience to to be in that brain for ninety minutes or whatever the mm-hmm. length of it, to be in that brain with social media and YouTube and all these it I talked to my friend Lauren afterwards who had recommended it about how grateful I am to have not grown up with Instagram. Yeah. Oh yeah. I and just... YouTube and vlogging. I am so grateful. I just think that, and I understand that, look, problems kind of transcend time and, and anxieties and social anxieties and being unsure of yourself, but it's so in your face now. And having, uh, he captures so perfectly too, that the teenagers don't look at each other in the eyes. Yeah. When they have a conversation, they're not looking at each other anymore. Yeah. And that just guts me it just really guts me yeah i couldn't tell if that was a sign of social anxiety but then i realized everyone was doing it yeah they're all just distracted yeah um it's it's eating away at interaction mm-hmm. i mean the thing that is supposed to bring the world together is actually separated individuals in, in physical space which you know it's horrifying on a million different levels but but watching the film is it, it is like a glimpse into a different i mean yeah I keep saying this, I'm old, I grew up with books and libraries, and it's, I can't conceive of what it's like now. I mean, I assume you just adapt because it's the air you breathe and it's yeah. what's it's the world you're in, but you can see what's happening because she's completely at sea. She doesn't, I keep realizing we aren't referring to the character's name because it's, oh, yeah. like I just, she's so good at that performance, I believe it's, it's her, and I know healthy. it isn't. Yeah, it just keeps saying that. But, yeah. Uh, Kaya? No. Kayla. Kayla, the Kayla. I, I was like, Kayla. it's not Kaya, it's Kayla. Yeah, yeah, Kayla. But she's so, she is so um, comfortable being mm. lost, mm-hmm. right? There's so much going on that you can't possibly keep up with it. Maybe that's part of it. Or they, you know, this generation will just be better at it than we are and so on and so on. But, and and Burnham was saying like, he didn't have any of this. He, mm-hmm. he had a, how did he put it? He, he said, the only thing on my phone was snake. The little game. Oh yeah, I remember Snake. Phone. Yeah, that was it. That was his only thing on his phone. I had a flip phone. I didn't have a cell phone till I was seventeen. I think I was twenty-five. Yeah, and then uh, at seventeen, I had a cell phone. And it was new. And then it wasn't until I moved to England. I lived in England for a year, and that's where I learned how to text. Right. Because they were ahead of the curve. Yeah, they so were. So they were texting, and I remember even getting there. I was like twenty-two or something like that, and everybody was texting, and it it was. Um, visceral for me to go well why can't i call people and now to call people well there's specific people i call but they're all in my you know five favorites i don't call anyone beyond that yeah no call what are you talking about email text yeah so you do you do kind of adjust to it and look i I think too there's there's stuff we can harp on social media there's also good about social media i just found that this film really highlighted that gut-wrenching thing of not looking at each other in the eyes and how being that age and and having all the social media and instagram and youtube and all that can increase that feeling of 
oh God, I just posted a picture and I didn't get that many likes. And yeah. oh, nobody's watching my videos. Uh, just, oh, it's so painful. And you feel it. Yeah, it's just so painful. Uh, have you watched Sex Education? Yes. Okay, so Sex Education, I remember watching that, and when you start, you go, is it in another time period? Yeah, it's the is clones, this right? It's the 80s. It's a very conscious 80s yeah. motif, but it's also present day. Yeah. And, and it's whales, but it's not. Like, it's, it's, just... it's very, it, it skirts everything yeah. very well. I really liked that series. And watching that, I looked up afterwards to go, okay, is this set after a couple episodes? What time period is the set in? And then you see their cell phones, of mm. course, and go, oh, no, no, this is modern. Yeah, yeah. And then I looked up an interview and they were saying, well, they specifically kind of played with it because otherwise... The, the girl who plays um, the punk girl, the lead girl. Oh, Maeve, yeah. Yeah, Maeve. She was saying, otherwise, we wouldn't be looking at each other. We would be looking at our phones. Yeah. So they yeah. just skirted it in order to get kind of that human interaction that we crave. Bo Burnham just went straight into it and said, nah, this yeah. is just, this is how it is. This is real, Let's yeah. see what it is. Let's yeah. see what it is real. Oh, it's horrible. It's yeah. just horrible. I, I, um, I, the thing, the thing that I kept, coming back to over and over again was how alone everybody is mm. uh even the cliques like they're just they're not with each other they're not together there are alliances formed but you don't get the sense that there are friendships mm. everything is transactional everything is about come to my party or sit over here but mm -hmm. only for now like everything is all moment to moment negotiation and i i'm pretty sure it was like that when i was a kid too but just amplified right because now with the social media bubbles, you know who your squad is. You know the tr you know who's in yeah. your circle and who's out. And so everyone is constantly, it felt like, aware of position and hierarchy in a much more, um, a much more cynical or, or a much more negative, exploitative way, mm. I guess. I don't know how I'm framing this properly, but uh, it's so alien to me. Mm. Uh, at least when I was a kid, you knew who your friends were and you knew who the bad guys were and like all that stuff was really simple and... Maybe it's just because I was lucky enough that I never had people turn on me. But that's what this like feels like. There's a constant minefield of social misfires that can happen and completely destroy you. Yeah. Which I think is also eternal and perpetual, but it just feels like everything is so much more fraught. Yeah. Well, you can't, you can't erase things anymore. Yeah, I guess that's it too, right? You can instantly... So when you put things out there, so I think why kids gravitated maybe i'm just speculating here towards snapchat because oh, you go goes away it goes away so if you make a mistake unless someone freeze frames it or whatever it will go away where there's so much on the internet now that won't go away yeah it's just there forever i even look at facebook which i'm constantly oh i gotta leave facebook i gotta leave facebook and i, I keep just general for professional links and friends that I don't uh, talk to otherwise, you know, yeah. just keeps looping you back in. But I've been there for 10 years on Facebook. Over 10 years, in fact. 2006. Wow. It's I've insane. been on Twitter since 2010. I must have been on Facebook before that. I didn't do Twitter or Instagram until later. And none of these things benefits anyone anyway. <laughs> I've noticed sometimes I go away from my Instagram and I, d I don't post anything for a long time. I haven't posted on my Twitter, just little things for promotion. And then you come back and there's more followers. And I go, but I didn't say anything. Yeah. Anyway, it's a wonderful. It's also, as I said, like social media can also be so good because it's such a great way to connect with people. And there's been wonderful social movements that have come out of it and, and uh, political movements that sure. have come out of it that are so useful. 
but this film just reminded me so much. Yeah, it was just a gut punch for me to go, it, yeah, it's so hard. And what do you say, again, to go back to, what do you say to kids that age to tell them that it's going to be okay? Because it's also not going to be okay at the same time. It's going to be difficult. But you're going to learn responsibility. And you're going to learn that the more you know, the more you don't know. And that that's okay. Yeah. And that there's... Uh, there's validity in that. There's mileage in that. There, there. You can. An eternal, your eternal journey will always be to know yourself, and you start it from the time you were born, and it gets really intense when you're thirteen. Yeah, I think if I could tell my younger self anything other than the chlorine thing, it would be you know, like, it wouldn't be it's going to be okay because nobody will believe you when you say that. I would go for something like you'll figure it out. Yeah. And. That's way more ambiguous, uh, yeah. but it's it's the closest thing to honesty that I can offer. Yeah, like it's and and Kayla will get it, and she's getting it now. We watch her start to get it, which yeah. is the most exhilarating thing you can you can I'm see for her. So happy he gave us a hopeful ending. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, happy. No. While I was watching it, I went, oh, no, what's going to happen? Is this going to be one of these things where I'm just sad about the next generation and what they have to go through? And then thankfully at the end, thank you, thank you for giving us a whole ending. We talked about that. He said that he couldn't imagine imagine abandoning her. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but basically that was it. He couldn't leave her uh, with an unhappy ending that she, the character and the actor both deserved it. Mm-hmm. And there's a strength in Elsie Fisher that he responded to. And also, I think the other point of it, and we talked about this at length, was the imposter syndrome thing. It's like, you cannot have an unhappy ending if the whole point of your movie is that everyone is faking it. Mm. Like, the only thing, if she doesn't learn that, then we don't learn that. So mm. the audience has to get that, that she's figuring it out in the moment, at the very end, really, and not until... The last 30 seconds, probably, Mm. that it's going to make sense. And she can sort of see that. And that's where you have to end it, right? Because I was was actually dreading a flash forward or something because of the time capsule aspect. It's like, please don't show us 18. (laughs) Don't show (laughs) us 18 year old Kayla picking this up at school or something and taking it to college. Just just, just just end end. it. She's going to be fine. She's going to be fine. Because I and once need again, her to be. his 27-year-old instincts, <laughs> first-time filmmaker, were dead on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was, I was super happy for that, that positive ending, and this, I, I you just spoke of the idea of authenticity, and I think that's what people want in life, and that's a lot of why she worked so well, why Elsie playing Kayla was so good. There was something so authentic about her. And I think just the camera does not lie. And you cannot lie to the camera. It will pick it up so quickly. And I felt like he really respected that and really made sure that everything that was in front of that camera was authentic. Which uh, is is my closest estimation to why at 9 o'clock I was like, all right, I'm in. Let's do this. Great film. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it is just... He said that he doesn't really feel like he directed a lot of the the kids. He just let them be themselves in the background and whatever mm-hmm. happened, happened. And a lot of it was naturalistic. But there's a guiding intelligence. There's a there's an empathy at work. He cares. And he, yeah. he cares about the story and he cares about the world. And yeah. Well, he created an environment, obviously, where they felt that they could just be themselves, yeah, which is so. a testament to his work. I, who's the kid who plays the best friend? 
just to speak of one one other character that we haven't yet that I thought was so good. Oh, not not the best friend, the one who likes her. The older friend. The one who likes her at the end. The boy, the young oh, boy. Oh. He's so he's so weird and I'm wonderful. Yeah. Anyway, he's so weird and wonderful, and. I also, looking up some, some information on the project afterwards, saw that it said that he was... He read the breakdown and it said he was unconventional. And this kid went, I don't I didn't know what that meant, so I just was myself. <laughs> went, oh, you're perfection. Yes, exactly. He's going to be fine, too. Yeah, he's going to be <laughs> fine, too. I just was myself. And that beautiful scene at the end where she starts to find that friendship and he shows her the archery certificate and just so real but so endearing there was not a false beat in that child yeah oh that's such a good movie yeah um i i yeah no i I really i don't want to pick it apart any further because it would be mean and also you have heart out but uh, (laughs) uh, uh the but the closer on the podcast the final question is always the same which is um what of if anything what of eighth grade have you or i guess since you've only just seen it, will you, could you see yourself using or stealing or referencing or borrowing or assimilating into your own creative DNA? I think what I really resonated with in terms of where I'm at, because I'm not going to go play teenagers. <laughs> I mean, someone wants to, what's that lovely show, actually? There are women in their early 30s who are playing oh, teenagers Pen on 15. TV. Yes, yeah. Pen 15. I was like, wait a minute, I could, they're doing it. No, they're doing it wonderfully. Um... And somehow that doesn't come across as sexual assault. It's the no. weirdest thing. That show finds a way to make that work, too. It's such a... Yeah. Anyway, so to say, yes, I could... I guess I could play a teenager. Other other young women, 30-year-old women are doing it. The apparatus is in place. Yeah. Um, but I, I think in speaking a bit to the dad character and Josh's work in it, it it's this idea, and, and as I just spoke of the authenticity, this mm. idea that... The camera and things in life, people in life, respect authenticity. So really finding, continuing to search for and find that vulnerability in my own work moving forward. I I think that's what was really inspiring about that. And also, you know, reaching out to young people if they need help. (laughs) Going, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Well, I mean, that's sort of what you're doing with the DGC podcast, right? You're putting out you're putting that out into the world that there's a way and there's a path and it's all empathy. It's all about people relating to themselves. Yeah. Um, Gene Yoon's episode was one that really kind of hit me hard that way mm-hmm. is that this is about an individual specific experience that you can hopefully learn something from as a listener and apply to your own life and your own, um, your own manner, if nothing else. Like yeah. you're, you're sort of, helping i'm i'm having people talk about movies you're actually out there telling people how to be better humans well i don't know if we're telling people we're letting other people tell other people (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm i'm really proud of that podcast and women on screen as an organization that i've been lucky to be a part of with jen for the last couple years and our founders lauren mckinley and farmerani and kira murphy uh had set precedents for a wonderful we have a web series incubator that we do but the podcast has been a great extension of that and and listening to these stories like Jean's, I really enjoyed that interview process. And I really enjoyed asking each of these inspiring women to write an essay that they wanted to write. Because again, that speaks to authenticity of going, mm-hmm. what do you want to say? And then the interview is going to go 
from there. Yeah. I'm not going to come in with my questions. I want to know what you want to say to the world first. And men, Jen and I would look at each other sometimes after people would come in and go, Lisa Berry talked about meditation. And I went, I just feel like I had a free meditation class. It's so <laughs> wonderful. And Jean Yoon really teaching about empathy. And, and Grace Lynn, too, talks a lot about empathy. Yeah. And how if we all just learn to share more and to empathize more, we're going to be okay. Yeah, we're going to be okay. Yeah, You have to believe it. I mean, I have to believe that we're going to make it through whatever latest crisis is happening in the world. I hope so. <laughs> what's the alternative, right? There, there is no. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be the first one down. I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no skills. <laughs> Some skills, maybe. Survival. I should do Nobody. Survival. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody yeah. wants an interviewer in the uh, in the Thunderdome. No. <laughs> Where'd you get that axe? That's nice. Would you, did you make it yourself? I, I'm, I'm out. I'm out in the beginning. <laughs> Oh, goodness. <laughs> My thanks to Lara Jean Korostecki, who you can see in theaters this Friday, February 14th, when Nose to Tail opens in Toronto, Winnipeg, and Calgary. And keep an eye out for the second season of Women on Screen Out Loud, the podcast she hosts with Jen Pogue. Thanks also to Jen Gorman. She knows what she did. You can find Lara Jean on Twitter at Lara Jean C, L-A-R-A-G-E-A-N-C, and you can find 8th Grade on Blu-ray and DVD from Lionsgate Entertainment in the U.S. and Elevation Pictures in Canada. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play, and streaming on Netflix here in Canada, and on Amazon Prime and Canopy in the U.S. As always, you can find me on Twitter, at Norm Wilner, and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it, or the show in general, say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps, it truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network. The Big Story has run a couple of really interesting episodes on the coronavirus recently. Maybe start there. Thanks for your support. And thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>